And our text for this evening, as you notice, Romans 8, 28 to 39. I should say that's our reading. The text is particularly verse 37. Romans 8, 28. This is God's holy and infallible word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our text is verse 37. No, Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Our Father, we do wait upon you now. And we pray that you would give us seeing eyes and hearing ears and believing hearts in Jesus' name. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's been much talk in recent years among Reformed folk about law and gospel, justification and sanctification and the like. Some have expressed concern for compromising the purity of the gospel and have reminded us that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Others have expressed concern to affirm the third use of the law, as we commonly speak of it, as a guide for the Christian and the need to emphasize the power of the gospel in transforming the life. Well, whatever sins we struggle with as Christians, And whatever sufferings we endure as God's children, we all have the same problem. The root of all of our problems always is unbelief. Unbelief. And this is true as we think about justification and sanctification. Dare we really think that we are now as secure as we ever will be? That's what the hymn writer says, that the saints in heaven are more happy than we are, but not more secure. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand justification and sanctification. That yes, God is pleased to work in our lives to set us apart as his own. And then progressively, day by day, to enable us to die to sin and to live 
to righteousness. It's not one or the other. Theologically, biblically, in our Christian lives, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can properly understand justification and sanctification. But our problem in all this is unbelief. We struggle to grasp that Christ really has paid the penalty of our sin entirely and that we need but trust Him and Him alone. This judicial aspect is particularly addressed in verse 31 to 34 that we just read. We also have a hard time trusting that our Savior is so much our Redeemer and Deliverer that He has broken the power of reigning sin so that nothing in all of creation can defeat us. We need to believe that whatever afflicts us, this is what Paul is getting at and where he takes these verses. Whatever afflicts us, suffering, sins, injustices of all kinds, does not defeat us, but that God is so great. Children, you say this in your prayer before me. God is great. That means there is none like him. God is good. He is morally pure. And he's so great and he's so good that not only does sin not defeat him, but he uses it to bring about the greatest good. We see that especially in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The worst thing ever, out of which comes our very life. It's in his death that we see the death of death. So when somebody says, how do you Christians deal with the problem of evil? There's your answer. Oh, the greatest evil ever committed of which you and I are guilty. God not only is not defeated by it, but uses it to bring about our salvation. This is how our God works. This is how we are more than conquerors. This is not some mere triumphalism. That we're more than conquerors. This is what Paul teaches in verse 37. We're more than conquerors. And three things to think about. When, always, in all things. Secondly, how? Through him. Thirdly, why? Because he loved us. We're more than conquerors in all things. Through him. Because he loved us. That's what Romans 8.37 says. Let's look at that a bit. We're more than conquerors in all these things. That's the language there. And so let's think about what that means. All these things. How comprehensive a claim that is. Back in verse 28, what I begin with, a verse you all know well and love. Paul asserted that all things, it's an utterly comprehensive claim. Work together for good, that God in all things works together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Nothing is accepted from that. When we ask the question of, of, of when always in all things, and it's easy to stand here and say that, it's easy to sit here in church perhaps and hear that even. But in the real living of life, it can be very difficult and very challenging to your faith. You're called to believe this. Nothing is accepted from that. 
even the most horrible of things like the serious illness or death of a child, the horrible breakup of a marriage, a terrible accident that takes a young life, all the sin that you and I struggle with and too often succumb to, Romans 7. Right? Paul has just gone through Romans 7 where he says, that which I would, I do not, and what I would not, I do. Do you know that struggle? Do you know the struggle? Thinking things, saying things, doing things that are not pleasing to God. Oh, how we fail to love God and love our neighbor. How we are so sinfully self-centered and self-focused so often. And yet, many Reformed people just sort of stay there. They just stay there. You need not stay there. That's where the devil, the flesh, and the world... If you see something of how bad you are, the devil, the flesh... I mean, if you, if you don't see how bad you are, the devil and the flesh and the world will tell you how good you are. And if you do see it, the devil, the flesh, and the world will say, yeah, that's right, You're just, that's all there is to you. You're written off. Forget it. One is tempted. And at times, maybe you've said this. When I say nothing is accepted, maybe something has come along that has moved you to say, no, Lord. Not this. This is a bridge too far. This is not something that can possibly work together for good. But I refer you back to the death of Christ. If the death of Christ is, as Owen said, the death of death. There is nothing. There is nothing that falls outside of God's will. There is nothing that falls outside of his control. There is nothing that goes on in which you are not, in fact, more than conquerors. God purposes in everything, Romans 8, 28, to bring a beautiful thing, think of it this way, out of all the smelly ingredients of our lives. This time of year, in a few weeks, I'll be making my gumbo. I originally come from down south, Louisiana and Mississippi, and I make this seafood gumbo, and it's got a lot of stuff in it. I make it in a 20-quart pot, and let me tell you, when you start cooking that and you're chopping up a lot of onions and garlic and peppers and all sorts of things, and you're putting seafood in. It doesn't smell so good often. Oh, you're thinking, and it's like one of my kids once, you know, had heard about filet gumbo, and they said, what's that? And I said, filet, that's ground sassafras leaves. If you didn't know what the filet and filet gumbo, now you've, if you've learned nothing tonight, you know that. I won't give you the whole recipe. This is, I, I have a cooking show, no, I don't. But, and this is not it. But if you come up like when my kids are, oh, it's ground sassafras, that tells, tastes terrible. That's sort of like the individual things that go on in our lives. They, they hit us and they look really bad, but together they make up something. Don't you know we're, when we get to heaven, we're going to be looking back at this life and saying, wow, Lord, you were working all the way. Oh, that we had had more faith to see it. More faith, eyes of faith to see it. 
Edith Schaefer's, Schaefer's wonderful book, The Tapestry, talks about this. Stepping back and seeing. Or maybe some of you know Georges Seurat's great painting in the Art Institute. A sa- Sunday afternoon, he wasn't a Sabbatarian, so I don't approve of this. But no, Sunday afternoon on the Grand Jaté. And it's a, it's a big painting. It's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But it's a big painting. And it's, it's pointillism, and it's just done with points. If you go up and look at the painting, you're like, these are just like dots. But you step back, and you're like, wow, this is a great painting. This is amazing. And again, we have many little things that go on in our lives. Right now, my hand is obscuring much of the back wall. That's because it's right in front of my face. But if, I were, if somebody were to go put their hand on the wall, you know, I'd see it be able to see the whole wall. It has to do with perspective, doesn't it? It has to do with perspective. Verses 31 to 39 develop this even further. Verse 35 puts the question this way, shall anyone or anything separate us from the love of Christ? And a list is given, all of which Paul himself has suffered. You can look at 2 Corinthians. You could say, well, except death. But even there, Paul said, I die daily, meaning That sanctification work is going on in Paul. He's dying to sin and living to righteousness. And that's, verse 36 says, for your sake, from quoting Psalm 44, from your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, sometimes the devil wants to say, or your flesh says, oh, this is a terrible meeting you're entering into. This is a real difficult circumstance. What's the... You need to say, what's the worst that can happen? Sheep to be slaughtered. I've gone into meetings saying, sheep to be slaughtered. Maybe a time or two even into a church meeting saying that. You see, you can't live your life like, I don't want to be. I'm just, you know, a lot of Christians right now are very fearful of what they see around them in the world. And they want to retreat into a holy huddle. That's not an option. We have to continue to be light and salt in the world in which we live. We have to continue to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us of the reason of the faith that is within. It's no Christian response, if I may be blunt about it, to say, let the world go to hell. We've got ours. No. No. And if you know what Paul is talking about here, how did Paul get out there and do what he did? Because he knows that we're killed all the day long. If you know that, whatever's happening, nothing worse than that can happen in a sense. Do you know this in all of the challenges and disappointments in your own life? And here's where verse 37 then comes in. It's a strong adversative that our text translates rightly renders no The question has been asked in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And all these things are set forth. And the answer is given in verse 37. After we've gone through all of these things, right? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine. And the answer in verse 37 is no. In all these things. The these things being comprehensive of everything that's just been mentioned. We're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. This beautiful vein continues throughout the rest of this chapter. 
going so far as to assert that nothing in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some see this as the high watermark of Paul's argument in this book, if not in all the Bible. More than a few people have found great comfort in this in time. We were just talking, I was talking with an elder just before the meeting. Someone who wanted Romans 8 all the time as they lay dying. And there have been folks in prison of the testimony of the Lord throughout history. And there's been particular testimony that this passage, which they laid on their hearts, which they knew. They didn't have a Bible there. They knew this. They had memorized it. And this ministered to them in their time of greatest sorrow and need and anguish and darkness. We're more than conquerors in all these things. Whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, Murray says rightly, this is a matter of faith. We must bring a faith perspective to this because if we just look at the things happening to us, we can easily say, you do and I do. Lord, I don't, I don't see this. Why, oh Lord, why? We must trust Him. We must believe Notice the word itself that gets translated more than conquerors. For the Greek fans, huper nekomen. Huper, above. It's an unusual word, hard to translate. One commentator renders it excessively victorious. Another notes, hate may make a man a conqueror, can fill him with furious energy, but only love can make him more than conquer. One thinks of Nietzsche and his heirs. Full of hate. That's really the story of the 20th century in no small measure. There have been so many small men full of hate who sought to conquer the world. We could list them off. You could list them off. Just from the 20th century. They were not more than conquerors. They were more than losers. Because outside of Christ, every one of us, whatever we think we are, whatever corporation we may sit at the head of, whatever country we may rule, if we don't know Jesus Christ, we're losers. But in Him, more than conquerors. And finally, this observation, the true Christian way of living, the Christian joy, true Christian joy in living comes to us not in spite of tribulation, disappointment, or even sin, because of them, we have something left over when life and death have done their worst. Hodge says, they are not only deprived, the all things spoken about here, are not only deprived of all power to do us harm, they minister to our good, they swell the glory of our victory. So think of this, in the face of bills, something as ordinary as that, that you might be down about, or taxes, sickness, death, and the sin that clings so closely and that you battle so fiercely. In all things, you're more than conquerors. Well, secondly, we're more than conquerors in all things. How? Through Him. Now, we've already been pointing to that. I pointed to that by talking about His death for you and for me. The reference here, through Him, is to our Redeemer, from whose love, verses 35 and 39, nothing can separate us. And 
questions get raised. Is this referring to Christ? Yes, because verse 37 is the answer to verse 35, as we've said. The question, who shall separate us? Nothing, no one, no how, nobody, no, verse 37 says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him. Let that ring in your ears through Him. You see, the world lay in wickedness. The world lay in darkness. And this is the first Sunday of Advent. The world lay in wickedness and darkness. And they needed Jesus. They needed Him to come. The light of the world to come. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They needed Him. They were waiting for Him. Israel longed for her consolation. And He came. And He did for them what they could never do for themselves. He kept the whole law for them. And He went to the tree and paid for all of their lawlessness. He lived for them. He died for them. He lived for you. He died for you. It's because he conquered. That's the only reason. It's not because you have some great resources in yourself. You're some wonderful person in and of yourself. No, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And he is the deliverer. He is the savior. And the advent is about the beginning of this, his coming to do this great needed work. And he came and he lived and he died. The Christ who is God, who can thus bear the awful load of our sin and God's wrath against it. And man, who can keep the law that Adam and we failed to keep. The one mediator between God and man. It's because he's conqueror. That in him, how do we become to be in him? Through faith, through faith union. Trust in him, come to him through all the means appointed. Come to him when you hear the word preached. Come to him when he is at the table beckoning you to come. And he says, day by day, moment by moment, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest unto your souls. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Come to him. And in faith union with him, you're more than conquerors. You see, we're more than conquerors, not because we have a can-do spirit in the face of adversity, like some sort of a Broadway musical. You know, there's all sorts of things in the world. A Broadway musical, we can do it, we can get it done. I mean, yeah, okay. You just keep doing that and saying that, you know, when I go through a storm, hold your head up high. That's what the world has to say to itself. The world has to whistle in the dark. No. We're not more than conquerors because we just give it the old college try. Or when things are going bad, we say, don't worry, be happy. No. We're not such because we believe in ourselves. There's nothing in us. In our flesh, there's no good thing. Now, the reason that we're more than conquerors is Christ in Christ alone in whom we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Many misuse this verse. I know you've heard it. Athletes do. Performers of all kinds. Business people. This is not a corporate slogan. This is not a capitalist mantra. We're only in and through Him more than conquerors. You know what? We're not more than conquerors because, you know, I figured out the method for this or that or the other. That's not what this means at all. That's an utter debasement of this passage. More than conquerors means you may be going through great suffering and you may stay in great suffering and great struggle, but you look to him in all of it and thus in all of it. As Murray says, 
What may seem to you to be an escape by the skin of your teeth is indeed victory in Him. And you are more than conquerors in Him. How are we more than conquerors? Through Him. The word there says through Him. Note that that's a preposition of instrumentality. He becomes ours. He gives Himself to us through the means appointed. The Word, as we've talked about, sacraments, prayer. Draw near to Him. He'll draw near to you. And you will triumph through Him. Undergoing trials, temptations, walk closely with Him in the means appointed. Cry out day and night. Come before the Word. Wait on Him there. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've had persons, I've had people say, um, Pastor, the Word is just... I say, you know, just sit before it, an open word, and I'll give them some particular passages to look at. And say, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. I'm going to lay hold of the horns of the altar, as it were, and I'm going to wait upon you so this becomes clear and real to me. And I've told people, people have said, you know, I just don't have a heart to pray. And I say, I understand that. Well, where do I begin? I say, you need to pray to pray. I'm not sure I can even pray to pray. I've had people to say, well, you need to pray to pray to pray. Now, I can keep doing this. I don't think you want me to, but I think you get my point. Yes, all of us are in places. You know, I know we're Americans. It's like, Lord, would you help me? Okay, that didn't work. I know. You pray for patience. Lord, give me patience. Now! I don't know. We have to wait on it. Though we may fall many times and struggle, as in Romans 7, we triumph in Him because He has triumphed. He's triumphed over death, hell, Satan, and the grave. So when you fall, get back up. Again and again, press on. We're more than conquerors through him, though we strive long and hard. Charles Spurgeon said, we may fall many times on the deck of the ship of life, but we'll never fall overboard. Get up. Get back up. We're more than conquerors. We say when and all these things always. How? Through him. Why? Back to the verse. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him. These little words that mean everything. Who loved us. Now you see, if you think you're fine and great and swell and wonderful, you're like, yeah, of course he does. May God disabuse you of that and may you come to see something of who you really are. So that when you hear these words, he loved you. You're like, me? Me? With all of my sin and degradation and darkness and misery. All my unbelief. He loves me. As the hymn writer said, when thousands starve. When they make a a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Why am I a guest? You should marvel when you hear the words. He loves you. The he here, of course, certainly would refer to Father, Son, and Spirit, but it has a particular reference to Christ, which is the subject matter of these verses. 
Then it refers to Christ, I think, is particularly highlighted by the aorist tense of the participle. He loved us. It's not that Christ doesn't actively, progressively love us. He does. And we see that beautifully when we look at the wonderful present in verse 34. That's a present who makes intercession for us. What is Jesus always doing? This tells us he ever lives, verse 34, to make intercession for you. We often forget to pray for each other. We mean to. You say to me, I say to you, I'll pray for you. There's one who never forgets. If I'm not praying for you, if you're not praying for me, Jesus is praying for us. So many of you have been praying for my wife. I know that. We appreciate it dearly. I mentioned her in prayer. She's doing reasonably well. It looks as if the cancer is backing up from the treatment. And at the risk of being thought not Presbyterian, we feel your prayers. We really do. But we value above all Jesus' prayers. And you know, all your prayers by the Spirit, even with inarticulable groanings, you go back just a bit in the passage. We didn't read it. But back in Romans 8, and you'll see the Spirit takes all of that and makes it intelligible before God. And Jesus, we have a double advocate before God. We have two, the Son and the Spirit, praying for us, arguing our case, pointing us to God, and saying, there they are, that's your child. Bestow your favor upon them. Wow. It's not wonder that we're more than conquerors. That intercession of Jesus is based on his definitive completed work for us. Verse 34 again, there's the heiress. He died. He was raised from the dead. Same tense as he loved in verse 37. Do you feel cold and distant? Gaze upon that middle cross by faith and abide in its shadow. Look with wonder on the empty tomb. Do you doubt his love? He died for you. He was raised from the dead for you. He loves you and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. His love is stronger than death and will never let you go. Because as we've said in his death, we see the death of death. He loves us so much that not only does all the things that the enemy can throw at us not conquer us, but becomes the very basis of his defeat. It began back in eternity. This is very solid. Verses 29 and 30. We read those verses, right? This love didn't just get cooked up. No, God has always loved us. He foreknew you means that he foreloved you. That's the basis of everything that follows in what older writers used to speak of. These verses 29 and 30 as the golden chain of salvation. Justification, sanctification, perseverance, assurance. All part of these verses. It all came to expression in the work in the person of Jesus. The Father gave the Son and He gave Himself. And in Him, He freely gives us all things. Well, the Spirit, the unseen partner I mentioned a moment ago, applies this love in our lives existentially. The Spirit takes the things of Christ and applies them to us. The Spirit, as Calvin said, is the one who brings us to Christ and Christ to us so that we are more than conquerors in all these things 
through Him who loved us. Let's finish on this note. Christ loves us. Can anything ultimately defeat us? This is not mere wishful thinking. This is not some sort of misguided triumphalism. Nor does it succumb to your saying, well, preacher, you can only say that if you don't know how bad my sin is. Well, I have a good word for you. If the devil, the flesh, and the world, as I preach this, says to you, no, this isn't for you. No, you're not. You know, you're just too out of it for this to apply to you. No, this applies to you. This applies to you. I'm saying here in the most loving and in a kind of spiritually menacing way, I'm talking to you. I used to preach in New Jersey, and that's the way people would put it. And that's what God is saying here when He says, more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I'm talking to you. I know the world and the devil and the flesh say otherwise. Be as Luther and say, be gone, devil. My sins are all under the blood. I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ. Friends, our sin is not greater than His grace. And all the tribulation of life, tribulations of life are not stronger than His love. Amen. Pray. Father, thank you for these dear saints. This place where your name can be praised and Jesus' love be heard and believed. Father, give these children of yours believing hearts about everything that Romans 8 tells them. And may they know that it's true. And it's not true in spite of their struggles. This is talking about struggles. It's true in the midst of them.